thankful for all that you have done. We're thankful for your presence here tonight. We thank you that you brought us here tonight. We thank you for every soul, God, that is in this house. Everyone, God, give us all, all, all ears to hear what you would have for us to hear wherever we are tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may certainly be seated. Now, it is amazing, tragically so amazing, um, how the world can take everything good, everything decent, everything right, everything holy, everything supposed to be pure, and uh, run it through the gauntlet of their minds, their, their works, their deeds, and, and uh, mess up everything. As I made mention the other uh, day before yesterday about uh, the, the number one curse word in America the last several years is his name, the sweetest name on earth, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, whereby we can be saved, and it's the number one curse phrase in, uh, in America today. And uh, other things that, uh, good things, I mean, you know, the rainbow God gave to remind us of a covenant he made that he would not destroy the world again by water. And here we are. It's been taken and hijacked. And uh, it took a promise of God's mercy and turned it into what it is supposed to depict today. It's amazing when you think of um, beautiful words of scripture, uh, the word mercy. Oh, what a beautiful word. But sometimes even sinners will scream, mercy. The word heaven in the heavens. Of course, the other place too. And, uh, and on and on and on we could go. But the word grace is the one word that it just don't have something about it. You can throw a twang on it. It's such a beautiful word. Now, there are people that the Apostle Paul wrote of that turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. They want to look at grace as, as a free ticket that you can lie by grace. You can steal by grace. You can cheat by grace. You can do whatever you want to do and, and never be lost because grace paid it all. That's fulfilling what Paul talked about, turning grace into lasciviousness. And so uh, we're reading here about this grace, this rich grace that through the eternal ages, he's going to show more and more and more and more and more. When we read in Isaiah 9 that the increase of his government, there shall be no end. That's a pretty mind-boggling statement for our finite minds. One thing it lets us know is that whatever God has done in the past, whatever he's doing right now, whatever he's doing 10,000 years from now, he will never allow his past 
to outdo his future. You are, you are in on the ground floor of the only thing that's going to get better forever. Richer forever. It's fathomless. And the, the riches of his grace and mercy that um, it, it came to us. We were saved by it. Faith worked in us. That was not of ourselves. That was a gift of God. Any works that we have done, thank God, but we have nothing to boast of because we are his workmanship. It's him working through us. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He, he foreordained things that we should be walking in. And that also is grace. Now, grace is, a, uh, in some regards, a multifaceted word. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He works in us to do his good pleasure. Uh, given this to you from another, some other translations, uh, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Another one, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. When great grace is on you, he gives you the ability to do it. And, and, and when really really, really great grace is on you. He gives you the ability to do things that you really don't even want to do. Grace, uh, sometimes when you're, uh, it's a dark, cloudy day in your mind, in your spirit, in your weary, in your body, but man, you just get up and you get yourself ready and bless your heart. You make it to church and when you get there, oh, thank God I did that was grace on you. That was grace helping you. Now, you've got to work with grace. We can frustrate the grace of God. Paul said, no, no, we don't want to frustrate it. You can frustrate it, but don't frustrate it. It's your best friend. Work with it. Work with it. Amen. Another one puts it in this way. Not in your own strength, for it is God who all is all the while effectually at work in you energizing and creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Now, I like that grace. I like that grace. Uh, if you would have met me before I had grace on me, you would not have liked me. Amen. But it's the grace of God that has done what he's done. The grace of God. I was in a I was in a restaurant uh, a few years ago, and uh, I, was, I was still pastor of the church there, and I was with my mother and my brother and his wife, and we were sitting in a Chinese restaurant. Now, anything tonight that, that, I've, that I say that I've told you before, just remember, there's somebody sitting next to you who ain't heard it, so don't worry about it. Praise God. But I'm sitting in this restaurant, and my, uh, my brother said, Larry... There is a lady that keeps turning around completely in her chair, and she's burning a hole in the back of your head. And so I, uh, I knocked a fork or something off the table, went down to get it, and I looked, and sure enough, she was there. And, uh, and she looked vaguely familiar, and then pretty soon she comes up, 
And she, she looks down at me, and I look up. She said, she said are, you, are, are, you, are you Larry Booker? And I said, yes, yes, I am. She said, you don't know me, do you? You don't know who I am, do you? And I'm thinking, I sure hope I never dated you is all I can tell you. <laughs> and I said, you look, you look familiar. And she said, I'm Judy. She told me her last name. And I, yeah, because I never dated her, praise God. <laughs> and uh, how are you doing, Judy? And, and she said, Larry. are you really a preacher? And I said, yeah. She said, like a pastor in California? I said, yes. And she's just, she looks at my mom, my brother, my sister-in-law. She said, you, you, you do know he was not voted the most likely to be religious. <laughs> you, you do understand that. And they said, oh, 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 we know. Trust me, we know. We know. My mother could have said, this hair that you're looking at turned white years ago from his ninth grade year to my to hit the year he graduated. I listened on the police. She could have said, I listened on the police radio every night waiting for his name to be called, and that's what turned my hair white. She could have said that, but that, thankfully she didn't. And, uh, but, but it was, it was, it was grace that visited me. It was God knocking on the door of my heart. And, and, and after slamming the door so many times and finding myself with, and I know this, that had not I yielded to him, I would be in one of three places right now without question. At best, I would be in prison or I'd be in a mental institution or I'd be in the grave and in hell. But he had mercy. He had mercy. He showed grace. He showed grace. And so Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's only by his grace. It's, 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 it's his blood is the purchasing agent to purchase us. And, and, and the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection, and we die in repentance and we're buried with him in baptism and as the spirit raised up Christ from the dead so it dwells in us and raises us to walk in newness of life and that grace continually is working in us now we we that's why we need to read our bibles we need to we need to soak in this word we need to soak in it the more you soak in it the richer church will be for you Amen, because you'll hear something preached and you'll say, man, I just read that yesterday. I just, I was wondering about that last night. And on and on and on. Make your life rich. Spend time, amen, and spend time with God. Talk to him, talk to him, talk to him, amen, and let him talk to you. And, and all of this works, and, and so that the grace of God can really, really, really flow and do what he wants to do. This is why in Ephesians 3.20, now, you know, this is Tuesday night. That's like, like, like Bible study night, all right? Now, unto him, Ephesians 3.20, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we are 
that we, able to, that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That God, that great, gracious God can work in us and able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. This is a good God. Now grace also is accompanying, it works hand in hand with mercy. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Amen. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Anybody glad for that? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. But it's by grace we're here. Now, this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about two main aspects of grace. Amen. Grace that saves. Grace that equips us. Amen. Now, my first experience as I look back in my life, and when we get to the other side, we will be astounded to see the times that God spared us. We have no idea. We have no idea. Amen. One day when you were running late for work and you're feeling so bad and so frustrated, and da, 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 you have no idea who would have plowed into you if you'd have been on time. That's not an excuse to be continually late. Because you can get plowed in for being late too. But it just means something. Amen. To know that he keeps his hand on us. Well, the first time... It really sticks out in my mind where I was shown a grace. Was um, I was maybe six or seven. I know that based on the house we were living in in Pueblo, Colorado at that time. And uh, my name actually was Larry Macbeth at that time. I, and when I was in the fourth grade, my stepfather married my wife, my wife, my mother made her his wife. Yeah. The world is crazy. I, uh, I ain't going to go there. It was just a, I know a guy, he's having revival. I mean, they're praying through a bunch of people, and it's really something. And <laughs> doing something. Life's trippy, man. Life's trippy. <laughs> if it, I don't know what God's, only God can sort all this stuff out. And, and his, his blood and his mercy, his grace. But be that as it may. So my, my mother married this wonderful man, he, and he adopted me. That's why my name is now Larry Booker. I was adopted by him. And, uh, but up until that time, I remember when we were living in this one house and the Fourth Street Bridge ran over the Arkansas River, and it's a, it's a big, tall bridge. And 
and uh, I spared another time under that bridge I could have been killed but uh, there's a series of bluffs there and uh, this one cliff so I don't know how I did it all I can remember is hanging by my fingers on that cliff and the cliff was about as tall it'd be like hanging on the top of there the balcony ledge but I'm six or seven there's rocks below but those rocks are very momentary because it's a, a steep slope. I'd hit those rocks and then roll down this very steep slope. So there's the face of the cliff, and then there was the rocks, and da da da, down to the road just by the river. And uh, somehow, I don't know how, I'm hanging there by my fingernails, my fingers. And the terror in my little heart, and, and, uh, and I remember a hand reaching over and it was not a big hand and it was a hand of a boy that was two years older than me and it was my brother Philip and he grabbed a wrist and he apparently was on his stomach and he said Larry I'm going to pull you up somehow over this the only thing I know he could have happened is is the adrenaline hit him. God helped that boy. He's two years older than me, and I was bigger than him. And, uh, but he started somehow dragging me up. I remember the scraping, the ripping of my shirt coming up over the top of that cliff. I was terrified. I got to a certain point. I could start helping crawling, and I made it up. And I laid there, and, uh, I had been so close to, if not, if not death, I mean, God only knows how shredded I could have been before it was over. But I never forgot that moment. I never, ever forgot that moment. I remembered it. And uh, I think God had grace on me. I think God had grace on me and saved my life. I could tell you other times. Well, then my mother married my stepdad, and we moved from Pueblo. And uh, actually, I was living in Canyon City at that time when they got married. And we went up to a little town called Rye, Colorado. And we had been very, very, very poor um, at one point in my life. I remember living in a stone house. I got a picture of it in my phone. About from here to the to the uh, drums, and from there back to here. Stone house, about like that. Dirt floors, rock walls, same rocks, one wall. Tin roof, rusted tin roof. Uh, the only wall inside of it was an army blanket hanging down. I remember watching my mother cook supper in a Folgers coffee can under a campfire in the center of it, and the smoke would go up through a hole in the center of the roof there. And uh, I didn't know we were poor. I didn't know we were poor. We had running water. Me and my brother had to get a five-gallon bucket, run down the hill, go to the well. <laughs> we wouldn't run as fast coming back up. But it was uh, running, grunting water. And uh, we had a restroom. It was outside. It was scary. It was wood slats. 
for some reason, spiders enjoyed being in there. And, uh, and, and that, was, that was where we were. And uh, at one point, when we, when we got out of there, thank God, we'd be in apartments. I remember the linoleum would be worn through, and again, carpets would be threadbare, and things of that nature. So my mom married Arthur Booker, and his, he had a nickname called Buzz. And uh, we moved up to Rye, Colorado. They were renting the house, but it was, a, it, was, it was the biggest house I'd ever lived in. And it was blonde brick. It was in the mountains. It was a huge barn next to us. And um, I, I remember the day that the men came and they put brand new carpet all over the floors. I couldn't believe it. Brand new. Brand new furniture. Brand new dinette set here in a room that was separate from there. And then back here was the kitchen. And there was another little dinette set that they put there. And, and, uh, and new beds and new mattresses. And, and I remember watching all of this and my mother and I hugging each other and crying because we never had this before. Never had this before. Just, and so uh, my, my dad, my stepdad, was, he, was, he, was, he was good. To, he saved us from, from poverty that I really didn't even have any idea how bad it was. And uh, I only had one job to do. Only one job to do. Out there in the barn, and uh, my dad took me and my brother out and we, we would, uh, went to a, there was a, a, a lumber yard up in the mountains, and they would, they would trim the trees, and then all the trimming off the trees, now they use all that to make fire logs and stuff, but in those days they would just get it up and eventually burn piles of it, but my dad would, he'd chop it up with a chainsaw and we'd fill it in the back of a pickup, and, and then he would order, bring coal, and they would put, put it all in the garage. So my job, my only job in the wintertime, was to, uh, he, would, he, would, he worked down in Pueblo at the steel mill. He would drive back up. He usually got there about dark in the wintertime. I've seen the snow be three feet deep sometimes. My only job was to get home from school and to get some coal, get the wood, two, three trips maybe, and build a fire. He showed me how to build a fire. Showed me about newspaper. Showed me about kindling, small pieces. They, and then when it gets hot enough, then you start putting in pieces of coal. And after a while, it'll bank, get a bank, and that baby put out some heat. Now it could get cold, and I'd seen the time my face would be hot, and the back of my head would be very cold. But that fire was essential. And uh, my only problem was, I, I keep forgetting. And, uh, I mean, he'd come home, and I'd be just playing a frolicking, go frolicking around, having a good time, and out, outside, and throwing snowballs, and I'd hear, May! Oh! Oh, I know what it is. And, and, and I'd, I'd start running over there, grabbing the stuff. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, two or three nights of that gets old. And, uh, so... Another problem for me 
was we would walk to school, and behind the grade school, there was a, um, a hill. It was a big hill, probably two, three times as tall as this church here, going up the side of a mountain. And uh, when the snow would hit before school, during recess, during lunch break, afternoon recess, and after school, the kids would bring tubes, they'd bring toboggans, they'd bring sleds, and they would, and they would, oh, you talk about have a time, have a time. Well, I didn't have a sled, I didn't have a tube, I certainly didn't have a toboggan, and so I had to mooch rides. And, and the first, yeah, 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 get you on, know, it's okay. But after a week or two, that starts getting old for everybody. And you feel like chump change, you know, and you, you're right. So I, I came home, and I was telling them about how good it is and how neat it is. And boy, if I could have a sled, that would really be neat. And he said, if I could have a fire in the fireplace, that wouldn't be bad either. Oh, yes, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so, and so here we go. And so for two nights in a row, sometimes I'd have fire waiting for him. And then I'd forget. And then I'd, I'd talk to mom about the sled, and she'd say, try building the fires. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But I just didn't have it down. And I remember sitting in the house, had a comic book or whatever it was, and it was cold out there, but I was engrossed in this comic book. And my dad walked in. Larry, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I, and I threw the comic book over where Blonde John, and, and, and he sits down, and I can tell he's not happy. And I walk out, and we had a big porch. He had to go down these steps, stone pillars. And leaning up against that, Stone pillar was the longest sled. Nobody in my school had a sled that long. And it was brand spanking new. I knew I didn't deserve it. And I felt, oh, I was glad, but I was like, And I walked back in. My dad was already unfolding a newspaper. And I said, hey, uh, I called him Buzz. I said, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. And I'm sorry for all the times I've forgotten. I'm going to try and do so much better. He said, well, I'll just give it your best shot. And I went, and uh, I wish I could tell you that from that day forth, I was the greatest fire builder that ever hit Rye, Colorado. And uh, because there were nights I'd forget, but I'm gonna tell you something, I will never forget that moment seeing that slide. 
And that was the second biggest moment of remembering what grace felt like. Giving me something I didn't deserve. Just out of the goodness of his heart, I, certain, I hadn't worked to get it. He just did it. And I've thought about other times with God where he said, as he did in Isaiah 1, come on now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And one puts it this way, come, let's talk this over. Let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you're stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you'll only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. If you keep on turning your backs and refusing to listen to me, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be good. But I'm going to tell you something. After that experience with grace, I will tell you, it was easier to remember to build the fire. It was easier to retrieve the wood. It wasn't just because I could ride the sled down the hill and people say, whoa, look at that sled. It wasn't that. It was that he gave it to me. And I knew I didn't deserve it. Amen. And so I wasn't the best, but things really picked up. There's something about it. It's like, it's like a, a good friend of mine. He told me one time, he said when he was a little, he was when little, he was 16. He's that way up. He's up. Uh, I'm 69. He's late 80s. And a uh, uh, great preacher. But he said he was, he was 16 years old, and uh, he, 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 they gave, his dad gave him $20. But there was also 20 he had to deliver to somebody. And so a 16-year-old to get $20 was just like unbelievable. But he said, that's going to have to last you a long time, boy. You hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. And back then it would. And so the problem was he went by a carnival, and he got in there, and, and they were, I don't know if it was picking, up, picking out the duck that had the right number on the bottom or what he was doing or throwing rings around. But he, he, he broke his 20 and he got the wrong duck. And then he threw the ring and it didn't fit. And then just what did he do? Threw the dart and they didn't go right. And on and on. And he kept thinking, okay, now I'm going to recover. I'm, I'm going to get it. And so he lost his 20. He thought, I'm out of money. Okay. And then he broke the other 20 that was owed to somebody. And he kept thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to. He lost it all, and the sun was still up, but he waited, and he sat outside his house for a long time. He watched the lights go out. Then he just, he opened the door to the bedroom just a little bit, Daddy. What? He was awake. Can I talk to you? 
So he made his way, faint, faint light. He got down both knees. He said, Dad, I got to talk to you. Well, you got to tell me, son. I went by the, there was a fair in town. I went by the carnival. Okay. Dad, I, 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 I lost my 20 trying to, trying to win stuff. That wasn't smart, was it? No. Dad? Yes? I lost the other 22. And at that point, he started sobbing. He said, I'm so sorry. He put his head on the bed, and he was just sobbing. He said, Dad, I've let you down so bad. He said, I promise you, Dad, that will never, ever happen again. I promise. He said, uh, you mean that? He said, oh, absolutely. I said, really? I said, yes. Turned on the little light by his bed. He immediately looked at his wife. His mother was laying there with her eyes wide open. <laughs> and the dad said, scooted little son. He opened up his drawer. He pulled out his billfold. He looked through there. He pulled out two more 20s. He said, if you mean what you just told me, this is the best money I have ever spent in my life. And the boy was sobbing. He said, I mean it. And he said, and I never, ever did with him or anybody else's money. Now that father could have broke him. I knew of a, I read of, I didn't know this man. He said they were poor. They lived up in uh, the uh, kind of mountainous areas of Wyoming. They had that ranch up there, but they were poor. He said they were poor, 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 poor people. But his dad worked hard, worked hard, saved every penny, worked hard. They enjoyed life, but they worked hard. And said he remembered when his dad went come driving home he had saved every penny and he had bought a brand new Chrysler it was a Chrysler it was a nice Chrysler it was a big Chrysler brand spanking new he'd saved money for several years several years bought a brand new Chrysler oh the kids everybody's so excited so happy na 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 anyway he said uh, his brothers and sisters had gone to a neighbor's house yonder. Mom went over there. They were having some kind of deal. He didn't go because, because he, he was going to date a girl. And so he, 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 was, he said he was only, he barely turned 16. Barely. Barely. But these were, these were many, many years ago. And, and he said, Dad, I'm, I'm on a little date so-and-so. You suppose I could take the truck? He said, sure, son. So he got the keys to the truck, and he sat in the truck, and he got to looking over there at that Chrysler. 
He went back in. His dad was on his bed reading a newspaper. He said, Dad? He said, yeah. This is stupid. I know it's stupid. I'm, this is so stupid. You suppose I could take the Chrysler? Really? He said, I know it was dumb. He said, I just thought she'd think I was really something, you know? So he said, give me the truck keys. He opened up the door, drawer by his bed, pulled out the Chrysler keys. He said, you be careful. He gave him the Chrysler keys. So he goes out there and he, he starts it up, puts it, but he sees it's really low on gas. He knows he can get, and he knows how much he's got to spend for supper. So he turns off the key and uh, runs in. He said, Dad, can I borrow three bucks? No, but you could you could fill up a Chrysler for three bucks in them days, and and just three dollars for gas. He said, "I will pay you this back, Dad. I will." So he opens the door, gets out, he gives him three bucks, and and he comes out. And the Chrysler's gone. And they ha- they w- they lived up on a hill on a slope, and. Uh, there was a slope that went down about 100 yards, and then there was a cliff. And he thought, no, but he did see tire tracks. And way down there was his dad's Chrysler. He had apparently left it in neutral or something. So he goes back in, and uh, he said, what, son? He said, uh, the dad, I guess, I guess I left the, the car in neutral or something. Yeah. He went off the cliff, dad, it's, it's gone. And the dad had the newspaper, and he, he, he put it down, and he sat there for a long time, and the boy was just, and he, he opened up the drawer and said, I guess you'll have to take the truck, won't you? And he gave him the keys to the truck. And he said, when my dad died, as one of the boys, a member of the family, to get up and speak. The family finally found out all those decades later what happened to the Chrysler. The dad never told one person in his house, friends, anybody what his son had done. It wasn't until he was speaking at his father's funeral 
But he did speak and say his graciousness and his kindness, his mercy to me, whatever I am today, I owe to him. Well, I'll tell you what Jesus did. We killed him and he gave us the keys. We killed him and he gave us the keys. I'm just kind of talking about some aspects of grace. Uh, I'm actually closer to being done than what you might think. Johnny King and uh, Judy, his good wife, they, they do a lot of mission stuff. They've done a lot of, lot of work in Italy. And so one thing that they, they've done, there's a, there's a and he, I, I used to be able to call the name of the village, but there's a beautiful village. I've seen pictures of it that they would go to in this village was on the edge of the Mediterranean. It's built on a, a hill. They have, it's ancient, and they, centuries ago they began, they sent, cut out these, these, this hill, and uh, you could look down, there's the Mediterranean, and they grew grapes. They had walls, 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 and, and uh, they would grow grapes, and they would, they would uh, produce uh, wine and things of that nature, and it was, it would, uh, that's how they lived. They made their finances off of that. And then some had lands up here. They would do various other things. And, uh, but as the years and years went by, more and more tourists began to come. And it became, so they began to build hostels and people could stay there. And someone had a big house. They opened it up and da-da-da-da-da. So gradually, they paid less and less and less attention to the grapes because they were making far more money off of tourism in the tourist season than they would the grapes. So they'd let them grow, but they wouldn't pay attention to them. If they got real shaggy, they might cut them back some. But uh, what that meant was they didn't take care of the walls. The walls, the rocks stacked and, and the, the uh, concrete materials that be in between. They wouldn't, they wouldn't keep it up as it were because they didn't need to. And all that was fine and well. Uh, in the rainy season, it would rain and it'd be fine. But one year, rains upon rains upon rains upon rains came. It just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And so the ground was getting saturated, saturated. I've seen that, believe it or not, happen in California. I was talking to the brother back here, used to live in Petaluma. And back in 1983, I was holding a revival in Petaluma. And the rains came. That year, it took out eight uh, port, um, eight ports all up the California coast. And um, can't think of what they call them. when people walk out on there and they fish off the off the piers, piers, took out eight piers. And I watched the rain come, 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 until those green mountains, beautiful, gorgeous hills by Pataluma, they got so soaked, soaked, soaked down, down to where finally the water hit the bedrock and the rains kept coming and kept coming. And I watched giant mountains as large, larger than this church start sliding apart 
off the rocks because they were so saturated and split in two and you'd see 20 feet wide at the top down to the bedrock. Well, this is what's happening in that little village off the coast. And it's getting soaked and soaked and soaked, raining and raining and raining. The problem was one of the walls up above that had the least attendance to they hadn't taken care of the wall, and so the wall gave. And that started a mudslide that hit the next layer, and that wall gave. And then twice as much mud hit the next wall. And it began happening in other places. And so it was sliding down off the mountain. And so houses were being taken. Houses were also being filled with mud. Well, there was, there was a young man that Brother and Sister King had met a couple of times there. He was in his 20s, very, very strong, very athletic, and uh, very nice young man. They knew him by first name. And Well, so it was uh, two and a half years later after that, they'd read about it. Thought, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. So two and a half years later, they came and decided to go see it. And the town, of course, had been rebuilding, rebuilding, best they could. And they saw this young man, and they said, are you all right? He said, yes. He had, uh, he had a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, and he had an, an under a garage, and he had, I think it was a Volvo or something. And it took his Volvo and his motorcycle down into the sea, and he doesn't, and he doesn't have anywhere to put a garage now. I mean, it's gone. He's got his house. He's thankful for that. And Harley Davidson of Kentucky fished out his motorcycle. They literally paid and had scuba divers go down there and find it. And then they pulled it up. Harley Davidson did this. America can be a really neat place. And, uh, and they shipped that Harley Davidson back to Kentucky, took it all apart, rebuilt it, and gave it back to him. But part of the reason they did it was because when everything was happening, he and some of his other friends, they said, we got to help people. we got to help people. And so they were pulling people out of houses. They, 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 were, they were doing everything. They saved several people's lives, several people's lives. And said, and then as he was telling them about this, he heard, there's my friend. That's my friend, this old man. He saved my life. He saved my life. And so here was the story. While they were doing all this, there was a house, and, and they heard, help me. Help me. And they're looking, and there at the top floor was a three-floor house, attic situation. And up there, there was a, a window, an octagonal window that would open inside. And this old man's face was there. He said, my house is full of mud. I went to the second floor, and the second floor filled with mud. And now it's filling up this room. I'm trapped. You've got to help me. So 
they had, they'd been working with ladders. They, they, they threw a ladder up there and extended it and went up there. The problem was the hole was about like this octagonal and the man's shoulders were bigger than the hole. He said, I, I, I can't get you out. He said, my feet are covered with mud. It's coming. He said, to get you out, I'm going to have to break you up. He said, I don't care. Whatever you have to do to me, save me. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, there better be something inside of you that will say to God, whatever you have to do, don't let me die lost. He said, do whatever. He said, hold the ladder strong. He said, turn your head to the right. Close your eyes. Turn it to the right and scoot over a little. He said, this is going to hurt, sir. I don't care. He was a very strong young man, and he hit him one time, hit him twice to make sure that collarbone was snapped in two. And the man was screaming, screaming. And he kind of pushed him back. And the man was crying in pain. He said, turn your head the other way. And it was the agony of turning his head. And he scooted him. And he said, hang on to the ladder. i got to lean back. And he leaned over to the side with his strong arm and broke the other side of his collarbone. He said, sir, your pain is just about to get started. Scoot back and give me your arms. And he was screaming like a madman as he pulled him. But his shoulders fit through. And his hips were skinned hideously. Others had climbed up the ladder and they lowered him down head first. And now Johnny and Judy King are seeing an old man run up to that boy. He saved me. He saved me. I'd be dead today. This young man saved me. I'm going to tell you something. We know how far Jesus will go. He went all the way to the most hideous, ignominious death so we could be here tonight. I'd like for musician to come please but whatever it takes grace is what's needed whatever it takes God you've given us grace give us grace give us grace to keep on hanging on loving you draw closer to win though give me grace to witness give me grace give me grace give me grace there was a young lady when I first took over 25 years ago almost 25 years ago. Went to Rialto. And there was a family in the church. He'd been, 
he was in his 60s. He'd been in the church since he was a little boy. His mother had been in the church since she was six years old. Our church is 85 years old now. And this young lady came. She'd been backslid for several years. She prayed through. She came for maybe a month. And then she quit coming. And uh, this had been kind of a pattern. She lived for God up until the time she was about 17. And, and then began the pattern. She was brilliant, brilliant young lady. Anything she, and she's told me this out of her own mouth. She said, Brother Booker, anything I ever set my mind to do, I could do. Except live for God. I, uh, she prayed through another time. And, uh, years and years went by. And then I got a call. And it was her, Sharon. And uh, she was crying. She was crying. She was married now. Great husband. Beautiful home. She had a great job with a fabulous medical university there. He, he, uh, works in sales. He's excellent at what he does, makes excellent money. And uh, she said, can you come? And bottom line, I went to go see him. And this was her story. They showed me the garage and the beautiful cars and the trophies, the awards that she had won for physical accomplishments. And uh, maybe once or twice in her life, she'd been outrun by a man. She was athletic. She was brilliant. Fabulous job. Whatever, you, whatever she put her mind to. She said, Brother Booker, as you can see our home, you see what we have. I know God's been good to us. I know he has. She said, but I don't want to die lost. And so she said, here, a few months ago, a couple of months ago, I started praying. And she said, I didn't pray it once, twice, three times. I prayed it almost every day. And I'd get down on my knees and I would pray and I would say, God, this is the way it is. Don't let me be lost. Whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost. And don't let my husband be lost. I'm putting everything on the table. I don't care what you do, but don't let me and don't let my husband be lost. She said, I prayed it and 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 prayed it. 
said so after about a month and a half of praying it, she goes, I was at my job and I'm working on the computer one day and, and the, the, the letters are fuzzy. So she scooted up her chair a little closer. But a few days later, even they were more fuzzy. She's never needed glasses. And uh, so she went and got some reading glasses, and that, that helped some, but they're still getting fuzzier and fuzzier. So this very great university hospital, she goes to get checked. They run all the garment of testing on her. And um, why they sent this in the mail, I do not know. It was, anyway, it was on a Saturday and he was out of town. He was coming back that night for our sales convention. And, the, and, the, and comes in the mail. I'd like for us to stand right now. She she gets she gets she gets the, the the envelope, and she knows it's the results. She's seen envelopes like that for years, so she opens it up. And she starts reading, and she knows all the terminology. There's few things that have ever come to that hospital at one time or another. She hasn't had to write it out. And she realizes she was reading her death sentence. She had a brain cancer that is considered hopeless. And she said, Brother Booker, I fell to the floor knowing I'm going to die. By the time I hit the floor, I was already sobbing and said, I don't know why he was so good. But in about three or four minutes, I was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. And I prayed for hours. And he came home, and she shared the news. And so while we watched her decline, and he's going to church, he, he's paying close attention, he's talking to her, he's talking, he gets baptized. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. He received the Holy Ghost. He received the Holy Ghost. He said, baby, I will get baptized. I promise you. Yeah, you got to get baptized. And the last thing, if I remember correctly, she said to him, promise me you'll get baptized in Jesus' name very soon. He said, I promise. And she went to a place that God always wanted her to be. And God showed her grace. She said, whatever you gotta do, I gotta be saved. And her husband is baptized in Jesus' name, walks and talks with God. I don't, I'm going to tell you something. Why I'm preaching this tonight, I have no idea.
I went, I went, I went, I went, I looked, I and, but I just felt, no, this is it. This is a different service. But is there anybody here tonight thankful for the grace of God in your life? So let's just do it this way. If you're thankful for the grace that gives you strength to do things that you, can't, you couldn't do, but he, if you're thankful for that kind of grace, if you're thankful for the grace that pulled you out of wherever you were before he found you, if you've got grace that you know if it wasn't for his grace, you would not be here tonight. But he pulled you through the through the hole in the wall. He pulled you through. He did what? And you want to come down and say, God, I want you to know I'm thankful for your grace in my world. Your grace on me. Let your grace be on my children. Oh, God, let it be on my husband. Let it be on my wife. Let it be on my parents. Let it be on my loved ones. Let it be on my coworkers. Let it be God. This grace, this grace, whatever God, whatever God. And if you're here tonight and you've never known what it is to have forgiveness of your sins and the washing, cleansing away of your sins through your repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, if you've never known what it is to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you didn't stumble in here. God brought you because He loves you. He wants to do something that mighty in your life, beautiful in your life. Come on, the whole world knows Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be what you want me to be. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Oh, that's it. Come on. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. God's been good to us. God's been good to us, Jesus. He loves you. You're here tonight because he loves you.
keep praying, but if you know this, let's all sing it together. That's it, that's it, that's it. Let's sing it. God's here to help us. For eternity, for above all else, I must be to be saved. Husbands, if you're by your wife, wives, husbands, pray one for another right now. We got to be saved. We got to be saved. Brethren, pray for a brother by you. Sisters, pray for a sister by you. We're all in this together. We've got to be saved. We've got to be saved. He wants grace on all of us. Oh, yes, 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 yes.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Bishop Booker. This wonderful message, wonderful message. I'm sure each and every one of us can look back over our lives and see the grace of God. I was running through my mind as, as a young man, and I could have countless times, car wrecks, different places where God could have just took me. But grace, hallelujah, mm. grace stepped in. I said, grace stepped in. Hallelujah. I'm just thanking God tonight, amen, for his goodness and his mercy. If you want to continue praying, you're more than welcome to. But let's be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoke to us tonight and remind us once again of the great and wonderful and compassionate and loving God that you are. We ask that you would keep your hand upon us, Lord. Protect us and keep us, Lord, as we go our way and protect us, Lord. Keep us in Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.